Hi everyone, uh, I'm Ben Hawkridge. Many thanks to Jason and John for their interesting talk before me. Um, I come from the Open University and I think I'd just like to spend a little bit of time talking about the Open University because uh, it's a rather unusual and new place. Um, it's based in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's formed just over 40 years ago and uh, it's quite large. It's uh, over 200,000 undergraduate students and about 30,000 postgrad students. We also have about 400 full-time PhD students. I should emphasize most of our students are part-time. We actually have no students on campus other than these full-time PhD students. We're probably a world leader in distance education, um, but I think our distance education tends to be a little different from what most people uh, maybe think it is. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to mention also that we're open access, but in quite a different way than John uh, and Jason have mentioned. We're open access to education. We accept anyone to take our courses. There is no selection criteria. Um, even if you don't have enough money, there is usually methods of uh, providing additional funds to help. So it's quite important to us as a mission that we actually have open access to education to anyone. So how does it work? How does the Open University studying work? Basically, we use a method that we call supported open learning. The open learning essentially means that we create, for the benefit of our students, um, a collection of uh, learning resources, largely based around textbooks of some form, in which there is structured learning based in that, together with audio, video material, uh, these days, obviously, computer exercises, simulations, etc., and online resources. Supported means that essentially we provide a team of, typically we refer to them as associate lecturers, but you can think of them maybe as tutors, who are there to support your learning process. Um, not all our students necessarily need that. But for many, as you can might imagine, from a very wide selection criteria, or lack of selection criteria, since a very wide range of uh, people, they often do need support uh, in that learning process. So we do actually provide that support. It's a very important part of uh, our culture in teaching. So with that in mind, I want to move on to the actual podcasting aspect uh, that I'm going to largely talk about today. Podcasting uh, at the Open University, I believe, offers a number of uh, benefits. The first thing is new teaching opportunities. Um, most of our content is developed on a production basis. We operate uh, with economies of scale, and so we actually take between about one and two years to develop a new course and all the materials that go with it. And that course will then be in presentation for maybe up to eight years. Uh, some of the problems John highlighted about textbooks going out of date obviously do uh, happen there. Admittedly, with online teaching increasingly, it offers us opportunities to update content, but we have to remodel how we actually produce things. Podcasting offers us the opportunity to provide updated course content during that. So the case of the Times Square bombing, we could actually potentially include in next year's course rather than maybe waiting four or five years down the line to actually include it. The second thing which a number of our uh, associate lecturers, and we have about 8,000 of them uh, in total, uh, largely based in the UK, is uh, feedback on assessments. So uh, the assessments obviously change every year for uh, different parts of the course, 
And one opportunity that podcasting provides for our associate lecturers is to actually provide feedback uh, generically to their group of students that they're uh, teaching. So that's another opportunity for them to use podcasting. However, it's not just teaching opportunities uh, that podcasting uh, has been used in. Research dissemination. Increasingly, there's a necessity in getting, when you get research grants to actually engage the public and to communicate with the public. Many of um, our government grants these days actually require not only the public, that we also engage with business and government. And we need to demonstrate that. Podcasting offers an opportunity to use audio and video medium, and not just the text medium, to engage with those people. We also use it for internal communications to our own staff. Uh, we have uh, a central campus of about 4,000 um, people. But we also have 13 regional centres uh, based around, uh, largely around the UK, but we also have some in Europe. And obviously, we then have 8,000, as I mentioned, associate lecturers who are part-time staff, who again all don't have a, a, an office space, so to speak. So podcasting offers an opportunity to do internal communications. However, probably the single benefit um, in the short term is new delivery options. We actually, as I mentioned, create audiovisual content for our students. It's not lecture content. We don't actually uh, use the lecture uh, method uh, for our teaching at all. Um, but we do create audiovisual content, and we actually need to deliver that to our students. In the early 1970s, when the Open University first started, we actually worked with the BBC, and much of our content was broadcast uh, live uh, over TV. We then moved to VHS tapes, and now to, of course, DVDs and CD for audio. We actually shipped, I believe, uh, last year, over 200,000 DVDs, of which we had uh, to inventory approximately 400 different DVDs. Now, that's just the DVDs. That's not the CDs. So there's a massive inventorying job there just to maintain that. Podcasting and delivering audio and video over the internet obviously gives us an ideal opportunity to remove that physical medium, um, which we would probably still provide for those people who don't have the connections. Um, but obviously, we can make a lot of savings uh, and hopefully improve the delivery mechanism. Publishing to third-party channels such as iTunes U is um, certainly something that we consider very important as well. Um, it's allowed us uh, to branch out in more internationally, um, particularly, I believe, in the States where we get about 40% of our current traffic. Um, I believe it's helped give us a name. Uh, so hopefully most of you here actually have heard of the European University. We've actually had remarkable success on iTunes U publicly. Um, last year, we delivered 10 million downloads that was, in fact, 10% of the total downloads that were delivered from iTunes U last year. So one in 10 of the downloads from iTunes U was a piece of Open University content. We currently have over 300 albums of content on iTunes U, uh, taken from, I believe, about 150 of our courses. We, we currently have about 500, but not all of them have audiovisual content. Uh, 2,600 tracks, we have about 260 hours worth of audio and video. That may not sound very much, but this is not lecture content. This is content that's being done in a documentary type of approach, a professional radio approach. So it's much more expensive than the per minute that you might expect for a, a lecture. Um, as it happens, a little later this year, uh, in a month or so, we're hoping to hit um, uh, 20 million downloads with 2 million visitors. And this is our public orientated site. So 
very successful channel for us, um, and we certainly have found it uh, a great experience. What I would like to suggest to you um, a little bit more sort of technically is how you might make use of a podcasting service within a university context. Uh, this diagram here really just shows that if you develop a centralised um, place to store your uh, podcasting content, your audiovisual content, and I'm assuming this is probably something that is within the university's control rather than necessarily uh, uh, hosted off-site. So I'm not talking about putting it on YouTube, but you could in theory maybe use a content delivery network uh, to actually do the hosting for you. But one of the opportunities, um, I'm just going to go around with, uh, this, is starting with your own internal site, is you could actually use it to publish back into your learning, man uh, learning management system, or VLE as we tend to call it in the UK. Um, I believe, I don't know for certain, but um, many sort of ca lecture capture systems tend to actually dump stuff straight into your learning management system. But what happens if you're a researcher and you actually want to publish your content? And the only place you can go is put it in your learning management system. How are you going to publicly get that out? So I believe actually having the system outside of your learning management system is a much better approach. Um, you can publish into your intranet site. Um, if you have a, happen to have a private iTunes U site, you can put it in there, which provides the convenience for uh, many of today's students who uh, use iPods. Um, equally, you can publish out to your own university website. Now, one of the features that I've increasingly uh, been asked for to add to our own podcasting site is to do um, more like a YouTube um, HTML embed code where people want to just put single videos up. They don't actually want to get into podcasting with this episodic nature. And one of the advantages of putting it inside our system is that at least the university has most of its audiovisual content actually in one place. Instead of being maybe embedded into the website and the visibility to the university is lost, other than by the casual nature of knowing it happens to be there, you've got the opportunity to actually centralise it. So um, certainly we're adding uh, embedding techniques to embed individual tracks, um, and we're increasingly finding more and more people within our university approaching us uh, to make use of the service. Uh, YouTube uh, and other similar services, I put a dotted line on that because uh, technically, you have to push the content out there. You can't actually use the RSS nature of podcasting to have it pulled out. Another area which you could publish out to is things like Apple TV and Beebox. For those people not familiar, Beebox um, is a Linux-based uh, system for um, browsing internet audiovisual content. And so the interface has been designed to work on a TV, designed like a, a media PC environment. Um, but it's all open source. We've actually built uh, our own plugin for that to allow it to take the RSS data from our site and actually promote our content within that um, arena. Of course, you can publish out to iTunes U using RSS um, or potentially into iTunes podcast directory if you're not on iTunes itself. Uh, Miro is a similar type of uh, application to iTunes. Um, and has its own podcast directory service, so that's another similar destination. And then you can also publish out to other websites, such as Academic Earth, VideoLectures.net, Podcast Alley, uh, who can all take your uh, RSS feeds and aggregate them and have them promoted in that way. Apologies. However, one of the core things I really want you guys to take away today is institutional podcasting. Most podcasting to date uh, that I come across um, 
tends to be small, fairly small scale. Maybe it originates in the AV department with someone computing. Uh, maybe it's a, a few individuals who want to encourage it. Um, maybe you've got a bit of lecture capture going on. Um, but it tends to be a fairly isolated uh, piece of work. And it doesn't really engage um, the whole of the institution. And I'm still going the wrong way. Um, so what I want to do is quickly go through why I think institutional podcasting is an important thing to take away from here, in the sense that it actually uh, touches on so many aspects of the university. It crosses so many boundaries in different departments and faculties. So let me just quickly go through this. Technical infrastructure, well, obviously, it's probably going to be a computing department. It's going to be an AV department uh, who are going to be involved in this. Um, they're going to have to maybe deploy something. At the moment, there aren't many um, uh, specific solutions that necessarily fit people's needs, so that it tends to be bespoke, or maybe it tends to be bought in uh, from third parties, like lecture capture. Um, so immediately, you've got two departments, the computing department and AV department, who need to work together. That, of course, may already be going on. The next thing is technical standards. You've got to agree which technical standards you're going to use. Um, RSS is a, is a must because that's part of podcasting. But are you going to start adopting MRSS, which is a Yahoo-sponsored uh, extension um, to RSS, which has a lot of richness? Are you going to use Atom, OPML, which is a way of actually describing the structure of your podcast. It's a way of allowing um, systems elsewhere to be able to understand how you've structured all your podcasting. Are you going to use MPEG? Who's going to make all these decisions? And then there's accessibility. There's a necessity for many organizations to actually um, fulfill accessibility laws. It's probably different in the US than it is from in the UK, but making sure transcripts are available or closed captions are available. Someone's got to make those decisions or have them enforced, and it probably isn't necessarily going to be just your AV or your computing department. It may be a wider area. Metadata. The uh, decisions on what you actually call your university, what copyright decisions you want to make, those sort of things are probably going to be um, initially going to be actually mixed. So you want to actually develop a policy about how those get filled in, how people get referenced. Do you always put to the author or the lecturer? What happens if you've got an event like this? Whose name do you put in? Um, however, Moving beyond that, what about training? I don't know how many universities invest in podcast training. But I think if you're going to actually put in a podcast service, you ought to really think about training your academics so that they actually have the skills to engage in it. Now, I'm not talking about skills like how to operate necessarily a microphone, because not all academics want to know that. They may be quite happy to actually have someone else professionally provide all that uh, skill. Um, at the Open University, we've recently introduced um, uh, narrative training. Basically, the training is not focused on craft skills. It's actually focused largely on um, narrative and developing a way of writing the content based on the genre um, and medium you're using. Delivering stuff as uh, radio format or as audio format is quite different from writing text. It's, it's quite a different uh, process. Another thing which is almost certainly not going to necessarily be in your IT and uh, AV department is gatekeeping. In other words, if you've got your public channels, who's going to decide what represents the public facing side of the Open University? In other words, who's going to decide that the content that you've made um, is allowed to be representative of, uh, of your university? 
Now, I don't think gatekeeping should be such a negative uh, thing, but it's quite important, nonetheless, um, that you have some policies in place for how you handle that. Rights inevitably comes into this. We've heard about uh, um, rights already to some degree. Uh, brandy and content. Um, essentially, you may want to have a consistent brand. For instance, we watermark uh, nearly all our videos on iTunes U. However, we do have some content, for instance, Darwin Now, which was a thing the British Council did in collaboration with us, um, that we elected not to brand. So we actually have a policy about how we do that. And then another aspect, which again, is probably not thought of too much, is how do you archive all this wonderful stuff you've created? Do you actually have a plan for that? Is your library going to archive it? Is it the responsibility of your audiovisual, your technical people? Because if stuff gets taken down, is it just going to be deleted? Or is it going to be kept for posterity somewhere? So two other aspects, just quickly on institutional broadcasting, is public channels. I think this is where most people, um, or most universities, first realise that they need to approach podcasting at an institutional level, is when they actually start formally going into public channels. So if you're going to set up a YouTube channel, or you're going to set up uh, an iTunes U channel, you inevitably find that suddenly all these cross-departmental um, issues start coming to the fore, and you need to have some way to do that. So things like understanding what the channel's about, making sure that you have measurable objectives. Very important, make sure you have an editorial policy. We actually have an iTunes U producer whose only job is to decide what content goes up on iTunes U publicly. And make sure you have a method of promoting your channel. Um, social networking provides a very powerful tool for viral promotion. But if you are going to get into social networking, it can be very difficult to track the impact of social networking. It's much easier if you're simply putting up links on certain web pages of promotion, you can track where those come from. If you put it out in social networking, it can be very hard to understand uh, where uh, people are coming from when it's out there. What I would like to say, though, is, is that you're not alone out there. For those of you who maybe uh, haven't yet got uh, a university that's got maybe a, a portal for podcasting or uh, an iTunes U site or even a YouTube site um, and want to redo more on this, you're not alone. Basically, um, there are existing, uh, two existing uh, groups out there. Steeple, which is admittedly a UK-centric um, uh, project that I was involved in together with Cambridge and Oxford University, um, and Opencast are two communities that have been running for about uh, three years now, uh, steeple for a little bit shorter, um, who are involved in trying to solve these problems. But one of the things to recognise is that there is no off-the-shelf solution because many of these things cross your institutional boundaries internally. Um, but sharing best practices and sharing solutions to the smaller problems really do help everyone. So... Go and look at these places, and I'm sure you'll find out um, more about solving things. But I do have one more thing that I'd like to just mention, which is a little bit off topic, um, and this is e-books. Um, this is where I'm working on really at the moment, but I'm linking it in here because e-books is going to be a rapidly evolving space, I believe, in the next two years, particularly in the educational sector, where I believe it can have a huge impact in delivering rich media content. Um, but how are you going to publish these? 
If you just simply push that content out to wherever the publisher, publishers are out there, you kind of lose a bit of control over there. You're actually back in the old world of, of uh, existing publishers. On the other hand, if you think about the podcasting idea of having a single uh, hosting service, you could actually host your eBooks out of that. And that is, in fact, one of the things we're currently planning to do is actually offer our uh, open educational resource eBooks coming soon um, via effectively RSS so that anyone can effectively subscribe to them, but equally we can actually publish them out ourselves to all the channels that we want to. So let me just reiterate a couple of core points here. First of all, podcasting, I believe, offers new opportunities, not just for teaching, but also uh, for other means of communication within a university. You can publish it out to multiple channels outside your university, but also inside. You can actually publish into your internal uh, resources and infrastructure. But also podcasting should be approached from an institutional point of view, in the same way that people expect their email to work. Really, podcasting shouldn't just be something that a few small people just happen to tinker with um, and don't have any formalised resource for. So as I said, if you want to get involved in podcasting, particularly at an institutional level, check out Steeple. One of the focuses of that project was very much about institutional podcasting. Opencast is, uh, tends to be more technically involved. They have a great project called Matterhorn, which is all about largely building infrastructure, technical infrastructure, to support um, recording of uh, podcast lecture capture and delivery. And with that, thank you very much.